Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast sponsored by Overdrive. Today's episode, I have a very special guest. We have Rebecca Ross here to discuss her new book, Ruthless Vows. Welcome, Rebecca. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to have you here to chat about Ruthless Vows, arguably one of the biggest books I think that people are anticipating for the end of the year. Yeah, which is exciting and scary at the same time, yeah. knowing how many people are looking forward to it. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't think I've ever experienced something like this where people were just like, how can I get an ARC? How can I get an ARC? And um, and we even moved we moved the pub date forward. So it was supposed to publish a year after Divine Rival, so this upcoming April. And my publisher's like, hey, let's let's bump it. Let's bump it sooner. And I was like, okay, let's do it. So... <laughs> Yeah, it's the holiday gift that everyone, uh, I think, is going to expect. So this comes out December 26th. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about where Ruthless Vows picks up? Yeah, so Ruthless Vows begins, there's there's about a two-week gap between the end epilogue that happens in Divine Rivals and where uh, Ruthless Vows begins. So um I don't know. Are, do we want to spoil Divine Rivals in this chat or do we need to keep it completely spoiler free? I think if we label it as a, a spoiler, we can chat about Divine Rivals because I do have some questions from it. So hopefully folks have had time to read it. But if they're waiting for it to be complete, I also understand that. Um, so I think we can do spoiler light if we disclaim that it's a light spoiler. <laughs> okay. so. Um, so in the beginning of Ruthless Vows, obviously Iris has returned to the city of Oath. Um, she has been, uh, she doesn't know where Roman is. And so, um, yeah. And if you've read the end of Divine Ravels, you can probably imagine where Roman is or who he's with. I don't want to necessarily spoil that. Um, but yeah, the book kind of begins the tone there with, um, Iris kind of deciding, what what is my next step? What do I need to be doing? Um, how can I find him? Do I return to the war front? And so that's where it begins. Yeah, so it picks up right uh, sort of back in the thick of the action. Um, so readers, I think, will be really excited to find out what happens with these characters. Now, you mentioned that the pub date was pushed forward uh, so that readers are lucky enough to get both installments of this duology in the same year. What process like did you have this book like sort of already finished? Like how were you all able to magic this to a sooner pub date? Yeah, so the book was it was drafted. It had been through its I think its first round of edits, so which is the most 
those are the heaviest rounds. I have to do so much rewriting. And I actually, the first draft of Ruthless Vowels was like 150,000 words. And I knew when I turned it in, my editor was going to be like, that is way too long. Like, we want this book to be like 100,000 words. And I was like, well, I don't think I can cut 50,000. Um, I did end up cutting, I think I got it down to 120,000 words, but you can just imagine the amount of stuff I had to cut out of the first draft. Um, but yeah, so the book was basically complete. I think it still needed to go through copy edits. Um, and when they when they brought the idea to me and and again, I thought like, what? Like, the day after Christmas, that is such a weird pub day. Like at first I was like, I don't know about this. But then the more I thought about it, I knew so many readers had either read an arc of Divine Rivals, which means you have to wait extra long for the sequel. And then some readers had just picked the book up. And it is nice when you do have the ability to publish um, books in a series close. So that it does. I mean, I get it as a reader. You don't want to be waiting a year, um, sometimes even more than a year. Sometimes it is it is a very grueling um, schedule to be able to do that for an author, though. Um so a lot of authors, you know, it's hard, but if you already have something drafted and you're, and it's been through revisions and your team is like, Hey, we can, we can do this. Um, and I was like, all right, let, let's do it. And it, when we did that though, it did mean that they were going to really limit the arcs. So there wasn't going to be a lot of advanced reader copies going out. And I think part of that was to really control spoilers leaking for the book but also to drum up this excitement where we want everybody reading the book together. And I love that sense of camaraderie among readers. Like we've all been waiting, the release date's here. Let's all go get our books and like, you know, read the book together. Yeah. And I think like one book a year is an aggressive publishing schedule. So I think readers are definitely going to be really excited that if they started Divine Rivals this year, they get the conclusion to the duology in the same year. Or for new readers, they can read both together. So um, duologies aren't as common as trilogies or like multi-book series. So I'm curious to know how you decided that uh, two books was sort of perfect for this story about Roman and Iris. Yeah, so it's funny. When I first started drafting Divine Rivals, I thought it was going to be a standalone. Like, I'm just going to write a standalone, no series or anything. And then as I got further into the book, um, I'm a discovery writer. So I really discovered the book as I was initially drafting it. And I I didn't even really know exactly how it was going to end until I was about halfway through. And then I saw the ending and I saw the last line. I was like, oh my goodness. Like if I end it this way, I'm going to definitely need another book just because I can't wrap up everything in one, in one volume. And especially in YA, they don't really want your books running over a certain word count. So you do need to keep your word count around 100,000 if possible. Um, and so I was like, well, there's no way I can try to cram all, I don't want to cram everything in one book. So let me, um, this makes sense to kind of end it where I see it and then carry on the installment in one more book. And um, I think I might've thought at one point, like, what if I did like turn into a trilogy? But I just, at that point I was like, I don't want to be dragging the story out unnecessarily. Like if I can tell a very emotionally satisfying story in two books. I'm going to do two books. And then I also like, I've written a couple other duologies. And so I like how it gives you one more book in the world with the characters. You can continue developing things. Um, but I also like, like the sort of symmetry the a duology poses. So like, especially with Divine Rivals and Ruthless Vows, um, there's a lot that is mirrored in Ruthless Vows. And so it just felt like the two books complement each other very well. 
um, versus me trying to like crank out one more book and call, you know, sometimes it's like, you need to let the characters just have the, the ending that they need instead of continuing to drag things out. Yeah. I love that as an answer because I love duologies. It's like just enough. And sometimes you don't want to commit to a, a large multi-book series, especially if it's ongoing and there's like 10 books. Um, there's a nice sort of satisfaction as a reader when you can get more of these characters than you would get in one book, but not too much. Mm -hmm. So Divine Rivals was originally called Iris at the Front. Um, was Ruthless Vows always called Ruthless Vows? No, it wasn't. So it's interesting um, when I was drafting Divine Rivals, it very initially was Inkrid and Iris. And I love that. But my editor's like, it's so hard to say. And like, people aren't going to quite understand what that means. I was like, okay. So then she pitched Iris at the front, which I loved. And then we, when we were trying to come up with a cover, the first cover that they showed me, it just, it was beautiful, but it did not look fantasy at all. And so that's where like, I think the title is informing the cover and we need something different. So that's why it got changed from Iris at the front to then Divine Rivals. Um, but Ruthless Vows was originally Devious Allies. So I was trying to look at like Divine Rivals, Devious Allies. My editor did not like Devious Allies. Like, I think we need something else. And so anytime this happens, which most of my books do have to go through title changes, I just make like a really long list. I try to like pull like random words together, you know, just to see what I can come up with. But I knew I wanted it like obviously to be a two word title to somehow complement Divine Rivals as well. And Ruthless Vows was was on like was one of my options. And my editor, like she loved that one. So I was like, okay, let's go with that one. It's perfect. But it's so interesting how you get to that process because obviously once it's in readers' hands, we're like, oh, obviously it was just always this way. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's weird for me as the author too, because you I I call it this for so long and then we have to change the title. It's like I have to like change it in my mind. But now Divine Rivals, it's definitely Divine Rivals. I mean, I'm not tempted to say Iris at the front or even Ingrid and Iris anymore. Um, and I, I actually, it's a line from the book too. Because again, like we had to go back to the drawing board for the Divine Rivals title multiple times. Like I'm running out of ideas. Let me just look through the book and see if I can find a line that, you know, I can pull. And so a Divine Rival is, is one of the chapter titles. It's like, hmm, let's just, what about this? And then everybody loved it. So it is interesting, like, I guess. Um, and sometimes even the sales team will weigh in. They'll be like, oh no, this is this title isn't going to do well. We need a title like this, you know? So it's, it is very interesting how those things come together. Yeah. Especially when it becomes such a collaborative process um, when, you know, you've been with the characters for a lot longer than everyone and you sort of bring in those outside folks to get to, you know, the finished product. I love the evolution of the titles. I think that that's really interesting as a reader to see where it started and then sort of where it it ends up. Now, obviously readers will be really thrilled to get back to everything that's happening with Roman and Iris. There's a lot going on in Ruthless Vows, but I'm interested to know if there are any new characters that readers meet in Ruthless Vows that are your favorite or that you're excited for readers to meet. Yes. So I'm very excited to, so there's one character in particular, very, very excited for readers to meet. Um, his name is Tobias Bexley and he is a race car driver and he's also a post runner. Um, so he has this very fast motor car. And so he delivers mail and packages from O's to other cities. So you might can imagine how he becomes very important to both Iris and Addie. Um, but yeah, I'm very, very excited for readers to meet him. And then um, readers also 
uh, get to see Addie's family. So I was like really happy to be- get the chance to like introduce them on the page um, in this book. Tobias is great. <laughs> no spoilers. Like <laughs> but he's fantastic. It's uh, really great to see, um, yeah, some of those characters that were maybe mentioned in the past get introduction, like Addie's family, and then some of the new characters and how uh, integral they are in this second book. Now, how has it been watching readers find Roman and Iris? Um, their love story and like the romance that you've written is so beautiful. Uh, I think a lot of people really resonate with the characters and I'm interested to know what that feels like. It's sort of like divine rivals. Um, I feel like got a little bit of a bump uh, several weeks after it was out, whether it was on like book talk or bookstagram, I came back onto the New York times bestseller list and things. And so what's that been like just watching new readers find these characters? Um, it's very exciting. Uh, you know, I've been publishing for many years now. So Divine Ravel is actually my seventh published mm-hmm. novel. And um, so, I, of course, I've had these very, like, committed core readership from the very beginning that have literally followed me book to book, who I am just so thankful for them. Um, but it is, it's really amazing to see the reach the book has had. And it is definitely attributed to book talk. The book did it it started getting recommended on TikTok and then one thing led to another. And yeah, all of a sudden the book was back on the New York Times bestseller list and it was just amazing to watch. But I think um, I'm not on TikTok, but my editor would send me occasionally some of the TikToks that, that, that were like getting going viral. And it was just like amazing to watch like readers reactions. Like there were some people that were like, you know, filming the book and they're just like they're just sobbing they're just they're, they're crying they're heartbroken I was like oh my goodness like just seeing readers reactions um and just how much they love the book it means a lot to me and I think it kind of proves that if you read a book and love it please do recommend it that's one of the most powerful things you can do as a reader is recommending it to another reader because um that it is like this organic way um for a book to get discovered and Um, So yeah, I love it. I think, I think it's been amazing. I feel very humbled by it. I love seeing um, readers. um, They'll, they'll do like these really beautiful edits or aesthetics on Instagram with Iris and Roman. And it's just like so stunning and they'll pull quotes from the book. And so I always love to see that. I am, I'm very excited that readers are just resonating so much with this book. You've written something that is so romantic um, for lack of a better word, it's just like the swooniest duology I think I've read in a long time where you really feel um, the power of words for both the letters that they're writing to each other and then the story that you've written about these characters. And so I'm wondering how you get in the headspace to write the letters from Roman and Iris and if that is different from the sort of headspace of you writing the rest of the story. You know, I don't really remember. It, it felt very seamless when I was drafting the book. It was th- it was one of these stories that was just a joy to write. Like I remember being completely swept away by it when I was writing it back in 2020. And it really was a story. I just I told myself I want to write something I want to read and I want to read something very romantic. I want to read about something where even when the times were very dark and 
sad and overwhelming or if you're going through grief, like there's still hope and joy to be found. And again, like watching these two young people fall in love for the first time. Um, and You've Got Mail is one of my favorite movies. So I always knew one day I was going to write a story about two people who fall in love through letters, even though they don't like each other in real life. So um, I think when I was writing it, again, it just felt very seamless when I was bringing their letters like into the mix. Um, I never really had, I never struggled with like, oh, like how should Roman sound versus how should Iris sound? And I think it's because they both felt so real and solid to me when I was writing. And I actually, the first draft was just Iris's point of view. Uh, so obviously we had Roman's letters were in there, but um, it was all told through her perspective. And um, my critique partner is Billy Banya. She read the book as I was drafting it. And so she read it. It's very, you know, messy first draft. And she was the one who recommended, I really think you should add Roman's point of view. And I was like, oh my goodness, really? You know, she's like, yes, I think readers really would benefit from seeing his side of the story. Um, so I was like, okay, let me just try to write a chapter from Roman's POV and see what it feels like. There was that first chapter of his that I write where he's like reading in bed and Iris's letter arrives. and. As soon as I started reading his perspective, I was like, okay, like it came so again, like just effortless to me. Like at first I was like, oh man, I'm gonna have a hard time writing through his POV. But then it was just like, no, here he is. Um, so I'm so glad I decided to add his POV in. And I even had to look at some scenes like, should this scene be written from Roman's point of view or Iris's? Um, and that's why, I, you know, the book isn't like 100% split down the middle between mm -hmm. their POVs. Iris still carries most of the story. Um, but I will say Roman carries a lot of ruthless vows. Yeah. And so I was going to ask how you sort of determined which character got which point of view, um, depending on what sort of part of the story you wanted to tell. And I, I was really happy to see, you know, a little bit more of Roman's insight and thought process and everything that's happening with him in Ruthless Vows. Cause there's a lot happening with him in Ruthless Vows. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm wondering without getting too spoilery for Ruthless Vows, and I know this is difficult. Um, if you have a favorite scene or quote from Ruthless Vows that you can share. I do have quite a few favorite scenes. Um, I will say there's a scene, it's about that midway point in Ruthless Vows. Um, it takes place on a windowsill. And it has the same, I guess, electric energy that the Golden Field moment had in Divine Rivals. So again, if you've read Divine Rivals, you could probably infer what I'm like meaning when I say that type of energy. Um, it was one of those scenes when I was like, kind of like moving all the pieces on the chessboard and parts one and two, like kind of, okay, we're heading toward this moment. How do I want it to line up? And so I remember like getting, getting closer and closer to it, just how exciting it was. Like, and again, like that golden, when I was writing the golden field moment, divine rivals, it was just like, I don't know how to describe it. It just felt, I don't know. Uh, it was just incredible to write. I think I just was feeling a lot of emotions that the characters were feeling. Um, I do have quite a few quotes. Um, I think one of my favorites is write to me and fill my empty spaces. Um, I think when I wrote that line, and I'm not going to say who says it, um, it's obviously either Iris or Roman. But when I first wrote that line, I was like, oh my gosh, it just kind of felt like 
a way to describe ruthless vows in one sentence, maybe. I don't know. Um, just like all the longing and the angst and um again, like the power of words, like you mentioned earlier, the, the book is very much about just like the power of stories and letters and words and how they shape us and mold us. And um so yeah. How do I say that? Oh, Hopefully that's not too yeah. spoilery. <laughs> I don't think so. And I think it will, I mean excite readers even more, I think, to be able to experience that scene um, when the book comes out in a month-ish time. Um, I'm interested to know, and you might not have an answer for this, just how do you, how do you write such sort of like lush and romantic stories? Yeah, thank you. No, that means, that means a lot. I don't know how I did it. No. Um, I think I think as a storyteller, I'm always very, very interested in character. So I'm very character driven, which means I really like to delve deep into emotions and like think about, you know, when I'm writing a scene, um, you know, how can I, how can I bring emotion to the forefront or how can I, how, how is the scene, like what emotion is it rooted in? Um, and then I just naturally have always had like a very like romantic sensibility. I think. Um, I'm an Enneagram for, I don't know if you're, if you're aware of what the Enneagram is, but it's a personality test that you take and there's nine different personality types. So sometimes I always like talk about this and some people are like, oh yeah, I know. And then other people are like, what did you just say? <laughs> um, but if you're interested, it's, it's the Enneagram and it's spelled with an E, but I'm a type four, which means um, I think it is like, I'm quite in tune with my emotions. Like it's the type where you could like look out the window and see like the rain falling and just get like a feeling just by looking out the window and seeing rain and like fog. Like, so I think when I'm writing, um, I just kind of draw on that. Like how does even like romance between like the landscape and the setting and the characters romance between the characters. Um, and not necessarily all like when you talk about romance, not necessarily just like, you know, how you mainly think of romance, but again, like our connection to different things in the world. And um, but also, I think I really like and this is really true with Divine Rivals, like watching two characters um, like slowly open up and be vulnerable with each other. And I think that's why Divine Rivals is so interesting to write, because Iris and Roman like they don't, they're rivals in real, you know, in real life. They don't like each other. They might have a little bit of that tension where they are kind of drawn to each other, but they're like, oh gosh, I can't stand this person because he's, you know, they're trying to take what I want, what I need. Um, but then giving the, you know, giving them a way to, again, like let their armor down, like be vulnerable through letters. And so it just shows how powerful that is um, when you're able to make those connections and then how it deepens the connections. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, I've just always, I think I grew up reading like Jane Eyre is like one of my favorite books. And I feel like that book has a very romantic feel again, like with the way Charlotte Bronte writes, like um, just the landscape and, and what goes on in that book. Like, it's just this very, you know, it was one of my favorite books. Um, so I think people like Charlotte Bronte, Jane Austen, Tolkien were huge influences of mine. Um and I also really, really love Melina Marchetta. She is um, an Australian author. And I think she is one of those authors who really knows how to write characters and their emotions and, and making them messy and not making them feel like, oh, like, you know, because life is messy. So I think when we see that in our characters, we see them being flawed, but then we still love them. We see them grow. Um, it's like really rewarding as a reader. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, hey there. there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are we are always unpacking that very question on sleepover cinema check out sleepover cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com see you soon i think that that's wonderful and the impact of your you know the words that you've written i think that's why readers just resonate because it does feel you feel all of the connections that these characters are sort of going through. And so while obviously one of the central points of the book is the relationship between Roman and Iris, there's also a lot to be said for the connection that these characters have to their siblings and to other members of their family. And so I'm interested in why you wanted to delve a little bit into those maybe tricky sibling relationships um, that we sort of see with Iris and her brother Forrest and then Roman and his sister. Mm -hmm. So I, I always love writing about family. I try to always have family involved in some way in my stories, just because I think it's really fascinating. Um, It's really interesting to even look at the family like we're born into and the family we choose. But I think with Iris in particular, with her and Forrest, I really needed to have this strong motivation for her um, as far as, first of all, why is she writing these letters and kind of looking at it like her brother's missing at war. She hasn't heard from him. Writing is a way for her to deal with that worry and fear. It's like if I'm writing to him and these letters are disappearing, they're reaching him and I can keep going. It's going to be OK, um, which I think as a teen, I did very similarly. Right. Like I had a I, I kept a diary and I would like write it every day and I don't do that anymore, but I'm like really impressed, like looking back, like, man, I wrote a lot, you know, kind of processing things, but I also really need Iris to have a strong motivation um, for the story and it's to go find her brother. So when she loses her mom, it's like, okay, like I, the only person I have left is Forrest and I don't know where he is and I feel like something has happened. So I'm going to pack up everything and go report on the war front. So, um, but the relationship, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult because you see how with a little bit in the prologue and like a little bit of Iris's memories, how Forrest was before the war. And then we see him, what the war has done to him, which I think, it's just a really devastating, heartbreaking thing to see. And it happens very often with people who go to war, especially in World War One, um, which the book is heavily based off of. With Roman and his sister, it was, again, a way to kind of give him some depth to his backstory. And then also, 
why he is the way he is because he lived through something that was like extremely traumatic, like losing his little sister and carrying the grief of that. And like, how does someone um, move on and keep getting up out of bed after something like that happens? Like, um, what is it like to try to heal from grief like that? So I think for both of them, like adding a sibling, it really did help create a lot of depth to them with their backstories and like how, you know, what shaped them to be who they are at the beginning of the book and how they both um, really connect through that grief. Um, and even just that feeling like I, we've both lost siblings. It's like, you know, kind of that feeling like, okay, we both understand that loss, even if it was very, the loss is very different. It's still how pain can really unite people. Um, if you've lived through a shared pain. Yeah. And how they sort of help each other with their grief in different ways, um, is really beautiful to see, you know, it definitely brings them together. Uh, during that letter writing process, sort of before they know who's who. And both characters, I think, have changed a lot since Divine Rival started. But particularly, I want to ask about Iris because it feels like she's really grown and changed in a relatively short amount of time. And I wanted to ask you, do you think that Iris in Ruthless Vows is the same Iris that we met in Divine Rivals? I don't think so. I think you're right. She definitely has undergone some changes. There are scenes in Ruthless Vows that I was writing for her that I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like so like proud of you because what you're doing is so brave. Like I couldn't do it. You know, if I were you, I would be like, no, I can't do it. And here, here she is, you know, just taking on these challenges and just being very determined, being very brave and also kind of thinking on her feet really quickly and being clever. And um, not that she wasn't those things in the beginning of Divine Ravels, but I think we see her in a place where she is very much um, almost like she feels a bit like muted in a sense. Like she does not, she's kind of still figuring out who she is. And also, you know, she's just dealing with a lot of things that she can't, she doesn't have the luxury of being able to figure out who I am because she is taking care of her mom. She's had to drop out of school. She doesn't know who her brother is, you know, she can't pay the electricity bill, like all these like very pressing needs on her. But I do think she's grown a lot. Um, just the things that she goes through by the end of Divine Rivals and then where she ends up at the end of Ruthless Vows, you can definitely see how much she has changed. She's one of my favorite characters I think I've ever read because of the evolution of her. I think that that's um, spot on that you sort of feel proud of the, of the way in which she's sort of putting herself into these situations to do. I'm like, I can't spoil it to do things that, you know, um, hopefully have a positive outcome. Now the gods in this book, um, Dacre and Enva, I don't know if I said that mm -hmm. correctly, mm -hmm. um, are very much sort of in the periphery of divine rivals we get some stories about them some of the myths but they're sort of very much on the fringes um, influencing the things that our main characters are going through but in ruthless vows we get a lot more close up uh, with these characters how did you sort of decide on their mythology and then how much you would bring them in to ruthless vows yeah, so I knew that they were going to play a very big role or come more to the prominence um, in Ruthless Vows. I think with Divine Rivals, I know some readers said, like, I wanted to see more of the gods, but I really, 
I wanted to write a story about two humans and like filtering what war is like through their perspective instead of bringing in the gods very quickly and divine rivals. Like this is very much about two young people and like their experience, but then things start opening up as we know by the end. And so um, it's almost impossible. Like the war is spreading, like things are shifting and changing. So all of a sudden, um, these myths, which have been like highly controlled and like the propaganda going on about the gods and like people just not knowing, like I almost wanted the reader to discover these myths alongside Iris and Roman. Like this knowledge has been held back and controlled, but here we are, we have these myths coming out um, to really show the true natures of these gods who feel almost like they are in the peripheral, but now they're very much in focus and ruthless vows and we're having to like, you know, stand face to face with them. Um, but I think, you know, I, I really enjoyed like developing the myths of the gods. I think it's one of my favorite things to do when I'm world building. And um, but I do think there was still a lot as I was writing with those vows, like kind of like delving in deeper on certain things or things took me even by surprise, like when I was writing the book, which is always just a very exciting thing. And that's what makes storytelling feel like magic. It's almost like my subconscious was leading me somewhere. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, my goodness, like. If I had tried to sit down and outline this, I would have never come up with this. But when I was writing in the moment, here is this revelation or the scene that I would have never planned on. Um, but I am very excited because I know there's still a lot of questions that like readers are wanting to know or they're just wanting to like see more of Inva and Dacre. So you are definitely going to see them in the book and in, in Ruthless Vows. <laughs> I loved their um, place of a, a little bit more prominence in this book because they're really fascinating. And I think that you gave readers just enough in Divine Rivals to sort of pique their interest. And um, it was really, really cool to hear more about them in this book and sort of see them have a little bit more place of prominence with Roman and Iris. And I wanted to ask you, this is something I ask a lot of authors because I um, love the cover art. I love cover art on books. I do think it's really you know, something that draws readers in, they don't know anything else about the book. And so I wanted to ask you about the US cover of these books, and then also the UK covers, because they're both beautiful, but very different. And I wanted to ask you how those sort of cover designs came to be. Yeah, no, they are, they are very, very different from each other. It's always very interesting to me to see um, the difference between U.S. and U.K. covers. Sometimes it's more subtle, but sometimes it is like drastic like these two. So with Divine Rivals, the U.S. edition, it took us a while to to find that cover. And I think I mentioned earlier, like when the book was called Iris at the Front, like I saw a cover sketch that looked almost like a contemporary novel, um, which again was beautiful. But I was like, where are the, the magical elements? Like when a reader looks at this, like they know this is a fantasy book. and that's why when we changed the the title, there was another mock-up that I saw and there was like a big harp on the front and it was beautiful, but I had just written River Enchanted and Fire Endless and there were harps on the front. So I was like, okay, obviously I have a thing for harps because harps keep showing up in my books, but I didn't want to confuse readers with having another harps. So I was like, and I really, really wanted somehow like have the typewriter incorporated in the cover. Um so I went back to the drawing board. And so then when they showed me the mock-up for what became the cover, I was like, yes, that's it. Because it has 
the typewriter keys, which some people might notice right away. Some people might be like, what is that? And then when they read the story and realize the significance of the typewriters. But then I also love how the flowers almost like make a claw, like the way the stems are, it kind of has this claw like look about it. So it has a little bit of a sinister feel. But yeah, I thought it was beautiful. Um, I loved how uh, the flowers are incorporated, you know, it just has a sense of like magic and mystique. Now with the UK cover, I remember my editor over there was like, you know, we really feel strongly about having an illustrated cover. And this is the mock-up. So they they showed me an early sketch. And I was very surprised. It's like, oh, like I was not expecting at all for them to do an illustrated cover like that. But I think it does, it lends itself to the sense of nostalgia. Um, and, you know, it is like some people do like to have characters on the cover. They want to see the characters. And I think it is like very sweet to see Iris and Roman, they're on the cover, and then to even see how the cover in Ruthless Vows, like how they're kind of back to back and on the first cover and then they're facing each other. Um, and so yeah, it was it was really fascinating to me. But I think it is something where um anytime you have, you know, there's a lot that goes into cover creation where like the sales team weighs in and then the art direction weighs in, the editorial, there's all these different people weighing in. A lot of times the sales team can like veto a cover if they're like, oh. Target doesn't like these types of covers. We need to go back to the drawing board because they want Target to pick the book up. Like, like seriously, it could be that strong. Or if Barnes and Noble doesn't like a cover, it could like send the team back to like to the drawing board. Um, but you do have to kind of trust your team. And so with the UK again, they're like, we feel very strongly having an illustrated cover will appeal to a lot of our readers. And so that's what they did. And so it is nice. I mean, I like how you do have options. If you don't want characters on the cover, you get the US. If you do want characters on the cover, you get the UK. Yeah. And I think it's really fascinating that in the case of these books, the covers are so different, but they're both perfect. So mm-hmm. like they both make sense. Um, so in the case of like someone like me, who's just a hoarder, I will have both. <laughs> <laughs> it does make it nice when you have a bunch of covers to collect if you feel like it. <laughs> exactly. Speaking of which, there are also a couple of special editions of this or exclusive editions how did that feel just to know that there are um you know fairy loot owl crate um, and barnes and noble were after you know doing something special for these books yeah no it was it was really nice um i've definitely worked with owl crate before with some previous work um it was my first time with fairy loot and that was definitely on my bucket list to one day be featured by them and then i'd never had a barnes and noble exclusive so that was also really really exciting and i think with the barnes and noble too um it'll be nice if you want like your divine rivals and ruthless vows covers to match more in color scheme um and so yeah it was it was really exciting and i think again really fascinating to see like owl crate's edition is very very different from fairy loot which fairy loot used the same artist Kelly McMorris to do um she did the UK standard and the fairy loot so it's really neat so you see her art across the board um so it's really beautiful and you can like line them all up I do know that um it's been you know some people were selling these editions for a lot of money online which I feel awful about for people who maybe missed out on getting them in the boxes and now want them um but I do think I've heard both fairy loot and Alcrate say they don't they're, they have no plans to reprint. Um, but very happy they, they're making at least a matching set. So they both have the Ruthless Vows coming out very, very soon. So if you have the first books in those series, you can get the second one to match. That's very exciting. And I always think it's really cool that 
hopefully then readers have some options where they can find the cover or the color scheme that they're after or collect them all Mm -hmm. (laughs) if they so choose. Yeah. I always love, sometimes I'll get tagged in a photo and someone has every single edition and they just lay them all out. And it's really, it's really fun to see. It's really, it's really cool. I'm like, how do we, (laughs) I did actually look because the fairy loot edition is stunning, but right. It's sort of on the resale market for several hundred dollars because everyone that has one is not going to give it up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I know. I hate that, but, but what can you do? It's a beautiful addition, especially with like the little envelopes on Mm -hmm. the spine. But yes, if folks want the new one, keep an eye out for that. Now you are going on book tour for Ruthless Vows in the new year. What are you most looking forward to for the upcoming book tour? Goodness. I think just, you know, getting to meet readers and sign books. Um, I will say a couple of my tour stops have already sold out and which really kind of shocked me that they sold out so quickly. Um, but I think like one of the things I just was recently at y'all fest, which is a very big young adult book festival in Charleston every year. And, um, I remember like, I wanted to be able to like let readers who've been waiting in my signing line for hours, like be able to get a photo with me and then maybe be able to sign and personalize all their books. And it got to the point because there were so many and I was so limited on time that I couldn't take photos. And then it all had to be candid. So like my face is like weird in every single photo because I'm like talking or whatever. Um, and then I could only like personalize, you know, I can only sign like a very limited number. So my hope with the tour is that you know, even though there's going to be like a lot of people there to make sure like everybody can get a picture. Like if you want to post photo, we can get like a nice photo where I'm like actually smiling at the camera. Um, And then of course, like be able to sign a personalized divine rivals and ruthless vows. I'm not exactly sure. um, Like if bookstores are going to be limiting as far as like how many I can sign again, just because I know we want to keep the signing line moving. But anyways, I think I'm just very excited for that. Like just to finally like be able to meet readers. I think I, again, I was just really blown away by how excited everybody was about this tour. Um, I'm going to a few places I've never been before, which is also really, really fun. Um, but yeah, I think hopefully if there's like no inclement weather, it is January. So it's like, we'll see what, see what happens. Um, and like no sickness or anything like that, you know, hopefully it will be like a very fun tour. I hope so. And I think it's always so fun when, you know, readers can interact with authors on a little bit more of a personal up close setting. And so listeners, if you're interested in seeing Rebecca at one of her tour stops, we'll make sure to link uh, her site or her social media so you can see if she'll be near you. Now, do you think we'll hear from Roman and Iris again, or are you satisfied with where things leave off in Ruthless Vows? So I'm very, very satisfied with how I left it. Um, and I know like I've had readers ask, is this a happy ending? Is this a happy ending? I think people are so scared (laughs) and I don't want to like outright say one thing or the other, but if you've read my other novels, I think, you know, my track record by this point, like how I like to end books. So I will say I was very, very happy with how Ruthless Vows ends. Um, so yeah, that, that is the, I, I would say Iris and Roman's story is just going to be two books. Perfect. And I know we're talking about Ruthless Vows. It comes out in a month. It's not even in readers' hands yet. But I'm interested to know if there's anything that you're working on currently that you can talk about. Yeah, so I do have a few things lined up. I can't say really much more than that at the moment. Um, I am currently drafting my next YA. 
Um, it is like a completely different world, new characters. I've just been so busy <laughs> with all the Provo stuff that I'm actually having a hard time sitting down to write, which has been a very new experience for me. So I'm like, I might actually need to like start like really blocking off time and being, you know, ma ma managing my schedule better. Cause it's like, this is so funny. I have no time to write anymore. Um, Cause I'm just so busy. And it could also be just like with the holidays too coming up and you know, books releasing in four weeks and um, trying to wrap up all these things. Um, but yeah, I'm very, very excited um, to hopefully share. I'll probably, probably wait till Ruthless Vows publishes and then um, news will be coming soon at some point about what's next. Okay. So we can hopefully expect some news in the new year. I know in publishing, we always get so far ahead, like Ruthless Vows isn't even out yet. And I'm like, okay, what's next? Well, it is hard too. <laughs> like you have, you, you like have a deal or some exciting news and you have to wait months and months and months before you can announce it. It's so funny, like with publishing, like, again, sometimes authors, like they'll just have to hold exciting news literally for like six, seven, eight months before you can like, you know, tell people, but that's just how it is. Yeah, it's really bizarre with all the timing, but I know readers will be excited whenever that, whenever they hear news of something else. Now to wrap us up, I'm interested to know if there is one song that reminds you the most of Ruthless Vows, because I know music is a really important part of your writing process. Mm -hmm. So I have, there are two songs and one is so this is like a confession. I am not a Swifty. Like I do like Taylor Swift, but I am not like, I'm not obsessed with her music or anything, but I had so many readers mention the great war to me um, that I was like, and I listened to it. I was like, yeah, I can definitely see how this song really embodies like Iris and Roman's journey. Um, so I would say the great war, but then there's also um, Hans Zimmer is probably my favorite composer. And I listened to um, when I was, it's funny, I listened to this song a lot when I was writing Divine Rivals. And I listened to it a lot again when I was writing Ruthless Vows. And it's the Supermarine from Dunkirk. And it's a very long, very intense song. And it's really only the last two minutes that I like to listen to. Um, just because they, it kind of envisioned, like, it kind of it's like almost like the climax of both books go along with that song. Um, there's like this organ that's playing and it's just like the tension keeps like rising and rising, rising. When you're listening to the song where it almost takes your breath away by the time it's over. Um, so again, that's like a very odd, a very odd song to choose. It's going to super intense, but the great war and then Supermarine, I would say are the two songs. I love that. So readers have a little bit of a soundtrack to reading <laughs> Ruthless Vows. I know that I particularly thought of Never Let Me Go by Florence and the Machine when I was mm -hmm. reading this. Yeah, that's a beautiful one. It's so moody. <laughs> and now to, to close, I'm wondering if there's anything that you would want readers to take away from Ruthless Vows. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, um, I really just want readers to feel as if they have found a home in my stories or if my stories are comforting or cozy, they have that feeling like they can return to them again and again, um, where they feel seen or where they have something that resonates with them. Um, I think I've had, especially with Divine Rivals, I was really surprised by how many people reached out to me to tell me the grief portions of the book um, really resonated with them, whether they had just lost somebody or lost someone very close to them years ago. And like, seeing the the portions on grief and how 
the characters like speak of it and move through it was just like um I guess like a light in a dark time for these readers and so um I, I just always I just feel like it almost always makes me cry when I get a message like that because it really makes you realize this one little book that I wrote by my you know alone in my desk you know I never knew if it was going to see the light of day it's now on so many bookshelves and it's found a home with so many readers and so I think that to me honestly is the best part about being an author and what a perfect thing to end on. Thank you so much, Rebecca. It was absolutely fantastic getting to chat with you about Ruthless Vows. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer and Joe Skelly and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.